Well, it's really great to be with you today. Um, for those of you who are new, uh, newer with us today, maybe you are joining us online, maybe for the first time, welcome. Uh, my name is James, and I serve as one of the pastors here at FEC. Uh, we're so grateful that you chose to worship with us today. Um, I already said that today's a really exciting day for us today, and it is, uh, because today um, is what we call Vision Sunday here at Freedom Village, which simply means um, that I get to unveil the word and theme that God has laid on my heart for our church for the year 2024. Um, I say this each year, uh, but every year that I've been pastoring here in Korea, uh, God has put a very specific word or a phrase on my heart uh, for the year to come. And so uh, we've had themes in the past, like uh, go deeper or um, the word centered really, you know, is what started this, this gathering. Um, a couple years ago, it was the word fulfilled, which we got from John 6. And then this past year, it was the word behold, which is all about uh, being in awe of our Savior, being in awe of our creator God. It's about truly seeing who he is for the purpose of knowing him and being more like him. We said that whatever you behold is what you become, if you remember. Well, this year, it was a little bit different, um, to be honest. Um, there wasn't some aha moment for me. Um, nothing was specifically written in the clouds. Um, just one afternoon, um, about a month or so ago, um, I was thinking about this year, 2024, and all the potential big things that are going to happen here this year. Some of you know there's a really high chance that we're going to be renovating our space this year. It's a pretty big deal. In fact, we're hoping to bring an architect here in two weeks um, or so to look at things. I also just found out that we have an architect here in our gathering, uh, actually this past Sunday. And so I'm hoping to touch base with him as well about that. Uh, but along with renovations, there's also, uh, some of you know, there's a, a really, really high probability that we could be moving to having a second gathering here at Freedom Village, which is big news. Uh, we grew a lot this past year, and we want to make room for more people to hear the gospel. And uh, we want them to come and be discipled and become disciple makers. And so we're, we're praying into that. Um, so there are a lot of potential big changes coming. And I was, as I was thinking about that, my heart just uh, settled on this thought that as things change here, uh, we need to stay focused on our roots. Uh, we can't lose the vision. That's a really easy thing to do. Uh, we, we have to stay focused on simply knowing him, as we talked about last week. And with the goal of knowing him, we're going to need to be people who are committing or recommitting to being a devoted people. Devoted. It means to be steadfastly attentive to someone or something. Biblically, it means that once we understand who Jesus is, and once we understand all that Jesus has done, his unending grace, his unending mercy, his perfect love for us, once we get the gospel out of love and out of gratitude for him, we cling to the feet of Jesus. Out of love and gratitude for him, we passionately follow him and what he has asked us to do. We are devoted. So that's our word for 2024, church family, devoted. 
I want us to be a people who once again determine ourselves to be fully and solely devoted to Jesus Christ. Devoted to his word, devoted to praying, devoted to gathering together, devoted to fellowshipping with one another, devoted to his mission. Why? Why? It's really simple. Because Jesus is worthy of our devotion. It's that simple. See, things can change here at FEC, and I promise you they will, no matter how much you don't like change. Things will change here. The chairs, maybe the paint on the walls, the number of gatherings we have. We can add staff. Um, some staff may, may leave and be sent somewhere else. We can have new leaders, change our logo. The website can look different. But the goal of this gathering and our lives can never change. We are going to strive to know Jesus and work towards being devoted to him because we believe he is worthy. Well, that being said, today's text really highlights two individuals who have very different responses to knowing Jesus. Very different responses. With one of them, Mary, we're going to see selfless devotion. But in the other, Judas, we're going to see a self-centered heart. So if you have a Bible with, this uh, with you this morning, I hope you do. Turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Now, uh, we started John's gospel about a year ago now. And in the first 11 chapters, our writer, John, has been describing the whole ministry of Jesus covering a period of three years. John has been showing us through the teachings and the works of Jesus that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John's goal for writing the gospel, John wants us to believe this. He wants us to believe that Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, so that we might find life, might find life in his name. If you weren't uh, with us when we were in John chapter 11 in the early part of December, um, we see there that Jesus has just raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And that word about what Jesus has done has started to spread. And it's not just the talk of, talk of the town there in Bethany, but word about what has happened has made its way to Jerusalem as well. Lazarus, who died, has been raised. And, and while some people see this, they hear this and, and believe, there were others particularly the religious leaders of Israel, who want Jesus dead because of the following that he had started to gain, a mass following. They are jealous. Their power and their position is being threatened, and it's just too much for them to bear. And so, at the end of chapter 11, we are told that the chief priest and the Pharisees gave orders that if anyone saw Jesus from this moment forward, if anyone sees him or anyone knows where he is, they should report it immediately so that he could be arrested and be put to death. So that's the backdrop of chapter 12. That's where we are in the story. Now, while Jesus does leave town for a little while because of the threats that were coming against him, as we open up chapter 12, we learn that he makes the decision actually to come back. It's the time. 
Uh, before this, when the people wanted to kill Jesus, it was not God's time. It was not Jesus' hour, we're told. But now it is. Uh, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem for the Passover to be the final Passover lamb. And so do we, we turn to John chapter 12 now, and, and this is what it says there. This is what it says in the text. Six days before the Passover, this would be Saturday, by the way. This is Sabbath day. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. So John tells us, despite Jesus knowing what was going to happen to him, if he made any sort of public appearance, we're told here now in the beginning of John chapter 12 that he goes back to Bethany anyway. It's interesting. He goes back to the town where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus are from. He goes back to the same town where Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And then we're, we're told that when Jesus arrives, a dinner is prepared for him there. Uh, it's actually the evening meal. That's the word there. It's translated, the evening meal. The day is over. In other words, work is finished. It's the meal where you would relax from the day. You would recline, typically in Jewish culture, around a a U-shaped table and engage in in longer conversation. So we we find ourselves at that meal. And and we know which house this takes place in as well. We're not told here in John's Gospel, but we are told in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. We're told that this is Simon the leper's house, actually. And just so we're aware, um, at least this is my strong opinion, most New Testament commentators agree as well, but just so we're aware, Simon the leper, Simon almost certainly couldn't have been a leper at this time, or there wouldn't have been a party at his house. See, lepers were excommunicated from the society. They couldn't be at social occasions like this. They were seen as unclean. And so it's almost certain, actually, that Jesus has previously healed this man. And now he is hosting this dinner to honor Jesus. So consider the scene with me now. We have Lazarus, who was dead, (laughs) reclining at the table. Simon, who was previously a leper, He's reclining there at the table. Oh, and like Jesus is there too, no big deal, reclining at the table. The 12 disciples, at least two women who we're going to be introduced to here in a second, and perhaps there was more. Well, one of those women, uh, whose name is Martha, we're familiar with Martha, aren't we? Martha, Martha, Martha. And here we're told that she is there, no coincidence, She's serving. She's there serving. She's serving at this dinner. She's making preparations. Now, I could preach a whole nother sermon and just focus on Martha here. It'd be worth it, actually. 
Uh, because the wording here is actually very intentional. It's beautiful, really. Because if you don't know about Martha, Martha is a doer. She's a doer. And by the way, that's actually not a bad thing. Uh, that's how she's hardwired. She was a doer. And thank the Lord for doers. Thank the Lord for those who serve. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 20, if anyone would be chief among you, let him be your servant. See, the Bible honors service. But there was a specific time in a specific place at another dinner where Martha was so caught up in serving and being who she was and serving Jesus that she actually forgot about the importance and priority of just being with Jesus. And so what does she do? She complains. She grumbles. But notice here in John 12, time has passed, and here she doesn't do that. A different dinner with a different response. She's not the same. She's grown. So here she is now serving out of selfless devotion to Jesus. She knows Jesus more now. She loves him. And so we see her here humbly serving the Lord and others. Her life and her perspective has changed. But she's not the only one who's changed. Because then we are introduced to the humble sacrifice of Mary. And this is really amazing. These two sisters. And it's her part here that's really going to be our focus today. Our main focus, I should say, today. Look at verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. What we're seeing here from Mary is pretty plain and simple. What we're seeing here from Mary is the lavish nature of her love for Jesus. Her sacrificial affection for Christ. Her pure devotion. And I think it's important to point out here that what Mary is doing right now does not seem to be premeditated. It doesn't seem to be pre-planned or, or calculated. Right? No, this is, this is in the moment. This is in the moment Mary's heart bursting with love in the presence of her Lord. So let's break down what's actually happening here. First of all, we see Mary takes a lot of perfume. We're told by John that it's about a pound. We're talking about 11 or 12 ounces. That's like a can of Coke. Think of it that way. Or if you're from anywhere else in the world besides America, 350 milliliters. Okay. And the term here for this oil she's using is mirin. Okay, mirin. It was a rare herb that was grown in China. You could also find it in Tibet or northern parts of India. And so all you know about that, this is not a lesson on mirin, okay? But what I say that to say is you could not obtain this. You just couldn't get this in Israel. And so what that tells us is that this came from a far-off place. And because it comes from so far away, because it is so pure, we are told in the text that it's very, very, very valuable. In verse 5, we're told specifically by the man who handles the money that it costs roughly 
300 denarii. And so we're looking at, in American dollars, we're looking at somewhere around $25,000 bottle of perfume. In Korean won, that's somewhere between 30 and 32 million won. Okay? About a year's salary at that time. It's an expensive bottle. And the question is, why would someone even have a bottle of perfume like that at all? Right? Well, one common use for this would be for a funeral. Okay? That's a cultural thing. Since there was no embalming done, and we talked about this when we talked about Lazarus coming out of the grave, right? He stinketh, remember? Um, there's no embalming done in Jewish culture. And so strong and expensive perfume was oftentimes, commonly, placed on the dead body to cover the odor. So this is important for a family to have. It was seen as a way to honor your loved one, uh, to, to anoint the dead one with spices at their time of burial. Or if you were really, really wealthy in that day, um, it was just used as a fragrance in the home for enjoyment. But that was extremely, extremely rare. But regardless, we see Mary take this jar now, this, and we know what kind of jar it is. It's this, this translucent white alabaster jar made of stone. And out of her, her love and gratitude, she just simply cannot restrain herself. According to, to Mark's gospel of this, Mary actually smashes the jar to open it. And in Matthew and Mark, we are told that once she does that, that she actually covers the head of Jesus with the oil. And then here in John's account, we are told that she takes the perfume and covers the feet of Jesus. And so from head to toe, she covers him. And then, and we can't miss this, we see there in John's account that she then undoes her hair. She loosens her hair, a radical thing to do in the presence of men at this time, by the way. And she uses her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus against Jewish rules, against cultural expectations. Mary allows her heart to speak. It's shocking. Her devotion and love for Jesus here in this moment knows no limits. It's extravagant. It's humble. It's generous. Listen, Mary, Mary gave everything of value that she could lay her hands on here in this moment. And if we were there, if we were there at that time, seeing this, maybe reclining there at the table, it almost, it's almost certain, certain that there would have been stunned silence across the room at this. Shocking. And that's, by the way, in a room with people who were following and who loved Jesus. Again, Simon is there. Martha is there. Lazarus is there. The 12 are there. But Mary's devotion stands out amongst the crowd. 
And it's this devotion by Mary here that really captivated my heart in this, sat, this last season of life. So much so that we, we paused the Gospel of John in December, changed the sermon series so that I could preach this sermon for this time about with this word. See, that's why I had to get up here even though I was sick. I've been waiting. It's caused me, this text, to be honest with you, it's just wrecked me this last month. It's caused me to pause again and again, to reflect and to wonder. Is my life a reflection of this type of love and devotion to Jesus? In our city, do people know Freedom Village to be a gathering with this type of people? Is this our reputation? I sure hope so. And if not, we must get there. We need to strive work towards striving to be devoted to the one who has literally giving, given us everything for a life of joy and flourishing. He is worthy of our heartfelt devotion. And so the question is, how do we get there? How do we get our hearts to this place? How do we become a truly devoted people as Mary exemplifies for us here? Well, first of all, I'm going to give you two. First of all, from Mary's act of love here, we see that true devotion is costly. It's costly. You could have said here, or I could have said here, it's sacrificial as well. We'll talk about that. And when I say costly, I mean that in a couple of different ways. First of all, it's the one none of us want to hear. Um, first of all, her devotion cost her financially. Uh-oh. Starting the year off. He got up here, he's sick, so he could talk about money. Yep. <laughs> it cost her financially. Again, we, we, we talked about the value of what she possessed in her hand with this oil. Perhaps this was even a family heirloom, but this treasure that she possessed meant nothing to her, apparently, in comparison to how she treasured Jesus. And so the question we might ask ourselves even now is, do I treasure Jesus more than my stuff? Listen, again, I don't want us to miss what's happening here in the story. Mary, Mary could have taken this jar, sold it, kept the small portion for herself, and given the rest to Jesus and the poor, and who of us would have anything to say to her, right? As long as she gave, listen now, now I gotta stand. Listen, as long as she gave, 10% of the value, right? Then she'd be a good church member. Then she'd be a good Christian. But no, she literally makes the decision to give it all. 
because she rightly saw that Jesus was worthy of it all. See, he is worthy of all that we can give him and much, much more. As Isaac Watts once wrote in his song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, he says there, were the whole realm of nature mine. In other words, if I, if I possessed everything, the whole earth, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life. It demands my all. The point is, Jesus is worthy to give everything to. There is no amount that you can give to him that is enough. That's the point. And so do you have that mindset here today? Is your heart willing to give for Jesus? Have you determined in your heart that he is worthy? Or let me ask it to you this way. It's a hard question. It's a really uncomfortable one. Is your devotion to the Lord costing you financially? A a pastor friend once asked me this question, and it's appropriate for me to ask it here now, if it's well. He said to me, if others looked at how you spend your money, if they looked at your bank book and spending habits, would they conclude that you must really, really love Jesus? It's a good way to assess your heart. Well, not only that, we'll move on from the finances. But true devotion will also cost you socially. It'll cost you socially. It will often cost you actually your pride. And we see this again in how Mary went about anointing Jesus with the perfume because what did she do? She anoints his head, signifying Jesus' kingship. But then in John's gospel, she moves to his feet, right? And and, and washing or or anointing a person's feet was was positioning herself in the lowly place of a servant. We're going to see that more in the next chapter. But what we know for now is that there's a lot of humility here, deep humility. And on top of that, Mary doesn't use a towel, which, by the way, was custom. That is the social norm. Even for a slave, they used a towel. No, she doesn't use a towel. She uses her hair. In other words, Mary was so caught up with her devotion to Christ Listen, she's so caught up in her devotion to Christ that she didn't even stop to consider what others might think about her. She didn't care who was in the room. She's not concerned about her reputation, what the guys in the room might think. And listen, you and I never will be either. We'll never be concerned with what other people think about us when our eyes are that fixated on Jesus. You know, it's like David dancing before the Lord, basically wearing his underwear in public. (laughs) Similar. What happened there in that story? You remember, his wife is furious. His his passion embarrasses his wife, remember? Get him inside. He's out of his mind. He's crazy. He doesn't care at all. He keeps dancing. He keeps praising the Lord in his ephod, we're told, his undergarments. Doesn't matter. 
And here with Mary, her actions, they make the apostles uncomfortable, we're told. But it doesn't matter. And so what about us? Uh, People may think we are religious fanatics. Some of you old school people, Jesus freaks, right? One of those crazy Christians. By what we do, by how we speak. But again, is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? Do you treasure Jesus more than your pride? Or are you more concerned with what others think about you? And by the way, that includes people inside the church. There is someone inside the church who might even think that you're extreme, a little over the top. I I love to read uh, missionary stories now and then. They're so uh, convicting and challenging, encouraging at the same time. I'll tell you a a really, really, really short story of a man named John Patton. John Patton was a missionary born in Scotland. And when John Patton let it be known that he planned to move with his brand new bride to take the gospel to the cannibals, cannibals, by the way, people who eat people, okay, for those of you English might be your first language, to take the gospel to the cannibals of South Sea Islands around Australia, New Zealand area. An old man in his church confronted him, said to him, what are you doing? If you go there, not only you, but your new wife will be eaten by cannibals. What are you doing? And to that, Patton replied, My dear sir, you're getting up in years and soon will be laid in the grave and eaten by worms. If I can but live and die honoring the Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter to me whether I'm eaten by cannibal or by worms. For on the resurrection day, my body will arise as fair as yours. He and his wife left. See, true devotion to Christ is costly. So ask yourself, is Jesus worth the cost? Is he worth the cost? Well, second, if we're going to become a devoted people, we need to not only know the cost, but we need to realize that true devotion comes from our love and our gratitude. Again, we've seen this from Mary. But it comes out of our heart and our gratitude. As we look through this text here in John 12, while it doesn't state it directly, what we're seeing here is that Mary's action is obviously rooted in her love for Jesus and for her gratitude for Jesus, raising her brother Lazarus from the dead. Just maybe days at the most, a week or so before this. See, we know Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and we know that they loved Jesus. And how, how did Mary grow to love Jesus so much so that she would be willing to do what she has done in John 12? Well, it came from growing to know him. 
from growing to know him. It came from growing to know Jesus personally and intimately. You know, if you study Mary's life, it's really interesting. Something I, I, I didn't really see before this. Something that's so interesting about Mary is that every time we encounter Mary in the Gospels, we find her sitting at Jesus' feet. Have you ever noticed that? She's at his feet early on, learning from him. When her brother Lazarus is dead, we find Mary at the feet of Jesus, pouring out her sorrow to him. And now here in our text this morning, she's at his feet expressing her love and devotion for him. At his feet. And I, and I think there's a message in there for us today. There's something I think the Lord has for us in that here today. That is, that if we want to follow Mary's example of devotion to Jesus... We have to follow her example of routinely sitting at the feet of Jesus. You see, you and I won't love the Lord as we should. We won't follow him with, with passion and fervor in the way that we should unless we spend a lot of time at his feet. And how do we sit at his feet? Well, it's not rocket science. We do that by spending consistent time in his word and in prayer. I'm glad it's not more complicated than that. That's how we get to know Jesus intimately and how our, our love and our gratitude for, for Jesus will, will deepen. Listen, if we, if we want to be a devoted people, we have to know Jesus personally and intimately. We have to know and understand his love for us so that in turn, we will grow in our love and gratitude for him. And then, and only then, out of that awestruck heart of beholding him, let's say, then we need to live sacrificially. Devotion is costly. It costs our time, our talents, our resources, and sometimes much more. You know, I was talking to someone about this idea of devotion recently, about being a devoted people, uh, and, and they asked me, Pastor James, how much should I be devoted to Jesus? Interesting question. Pastor James, how much, how much do I need to be, should I be devoted to Jesus? And I didn't hesitate. I think the Holy Spirit really helped me there. How much should you be devoted? I answered, how worthy is Jesus to you? That's the answer. See, your, your level of devotion always will match how you see the worth of Jesus. So how worthy is he? If we could unveil that in you, we'll see your level of devotion. Your level of devotion always matches how you see the worth of Jesus. So again, how worthy is Jesus to you today? How worthy is he? How much is worth it to give up for him? How much sacrifice is worth it? Where do you draw the line? Mm, coming on Sundays? Yeah, he's worth that. Serving a little bit? Yep, worth that. Giving? Yep, I can do that. 
An island with cannibals? Eh. Eh. See what I mean? How worthy is he? So we've contemplated Mary's actions here, her devoted heart. And we see that in contrast to Judas's self-centeredness. Because look at how he reacts to Mary's humble act of service to Jesus. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for, there's the money, 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. We see here that Judas interrupts Mary's lavish expression of love and devotion now. He interrupts the scene. How dare him? But he does. The man who will betray Jesus, the man who is not just, not just influenced by the devil, but we're told a little later on that the devil literally enters into him. He has opened himself up that much cuts off this moment of worship to Jesus. And that's what the enemy always wants to do, by the way. He always wants to cut off our worship, cut off our praise. And his words appear to be righteous, don't they? Should have been sold, given to the poor, given to those in need. But they are rooted, his words are rooted in greed. And what's apparent to us now about Judas is that he believed that following Jesus would lead to his own personal gain. He's been on this journey with Jesus for like three years, but it's all, been all about him and what he could receive. He thought there was more wealth coming his way, an elevated position of power and authority, but now he has learned. He's now seen that Jesus isn't the Messiah that he wanted him to be. Jesus isn't going in the direction that Judas wanted him to go or expected him to go. And so, while someone like Mary was growing to love Jesus more, Judas was growing to hate him more. And so he asks Mary, why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? Again, it sounds so noble, but John tells us that he said this, not of concern for the poor at all, but because he actually wanted to take the money for himself. And so in contrast to Mary, where we see a heart of love and gratitude in her, with Judas, we are seeing a heart that's rooted in the self. He's devoted to himself. And by the way, we're all, we're all devoted to someone or something. He's so fixed on himself that he is about to turn and leave Leave and sell Jesus to the Pharisees for 30 pieces of silver, silver, we're told, which is roughly the equivalent of $1,000, like a million one. Sell out the Lord. Well, Jesus responds. He says to Judas, by the way, we're not told in this account, but the disciples Hearing Judas say that, they kind of back Judas, actually. In the other gospel accounts, they kind of 
squirm here. They're uncomfortable at the scene. The, the, the waste that just took place. Yeah, actually, Judas is kind of right. Shouldn't we have done something different with the money? So Judas, sorry, Jesus responds to the room, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. I, I told you earlier that this type of oil could be used for burial. It was most commonly used for burials, actually. Didn't have to be, but it could be. And so here, notice Jesus really beautifully, he, he connects what Mary did out of, out of an expression of love to his burial. Now, did Mary actually know that Jesus was about to die in a couple of days? We don't know. Uh, Jesus has said that he was going to die multiple times before this, but is she really preparing him for that here? Does she know what she's doing, in other words? Again, it's hard to say, but what we do know is that Jesus here interpreted what she did as the anointing for the day of his burial. By saying this here, Jesus declares once again very strongly that he will die and be buried. What Mary has done, whether she knew it or not, is symbolic of his coming death. Then Jesus says, for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. The poor are always going to be with you, Jesus says, always among you. It's always going to be an issue for you to deal with, but you won't always have me. Now listen, the, the disciples, we know they, they cared deeply for the poor. They wanted to care for the poor, not Judas, we just revealed his heart, but the others really genuinely did. And of course, it's right to take care of the poor. We know this. It's a command in scripture, by the way. But Jesus says, not right now. That's not your priority right now. Why? Because I'm here and I won't be here much longer. He's only with them like a week <laughs> more. And look, I, I don't want to over-spiritualize these words here from Jesus. I just want to say that once again, in life, there are priorities. And Jesus always comes first. Before anyone, anything, any need, Jesus is first. And so he supports Mary here with his words. He backs her. He says, she did the right thing. Her heart is in the right place. Her devotion to me is well-founded. Her sacrifice is worthy. And so it's an interesting little story here in John's gospel, isn't it? And it just highlights so beautifully all that we've been seeing all throughout John's gospel that, again, once, once you see Jesus, when you get to know him, Jesus demands a response. When you see Jesus, when you get to know him, he demands a response. Some will turn to him. They'll run to him. But others, they'll turn from him. They'll run away from him. Mary spent her, many of her days learning and listening at the feet of Jesus. And her response, we see now, was one of passion 
It was one of gratitude. It's one of love, deep-seated love for him. To give him her full devotion, to pour herself out to him, regardless of the cost. Whereas Judas, and we're told like people, like the Pharisees and the chief priests, their focus and concern continues to be on themselves. And so today, where do you find yourself? Who do you most relate to in this story? Or maybe I could ask it this way. Um, How lavish today? How lavish is your love for Jesus? How extravagant is it? How extraordinary is your love for Jesus? How truly devoted are you? Watchman Nee, a Chinese church leader in the 20th century, if you don't know about him, it's worth the research and the study, Watchman Nee. But he was very, very moved by this story of Mary. And in one of his sermons about this story titled, Why This Waste? He said this. In Jesus' response to Judas and the disciples, he intends that people should come to him and waste themselves on him. Or to state it another way, The gospel is to bring each one of us to a true estimate of his worth. If Jesus is the pearl of great price and the treasure hidden in the field, then it's not a waste to sell everything you have to buy that pearl and to buy that field. Jesus is worthy for you to devote all that you are and all that you have to him. You know, didn't Jesus say this himself? Something very similar to that. He told us in Mark chapter 8, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Listen, Mary denied herself. She, in a very real sense, she she lost her life for Jesus' sake. And by her beautiful act of devotion to him, she gained what could never be taken from her. She gained eternal life, eternal joy, eternal peace, So once again, where do you find yourself today? How worthy is Jesus to you? Because when Jesus is your ultimate treasure, when you see him as priceless, you will spend your life, your whole life, in true devotion to him. Let me pray for you. Ask the worship team to come. Come back and join me now on the stage.